Welcome back to the Go the Extra Mile podcast. I'm your host, Jillian Pereira. Go the Extra Mile is a podcast connecting determination athletes and sharing stories of resilience, humor, and people who make their miles more meaningful by supporting the American Cancer Society. In these conversations, we'll focus on the why that brings us to our collective start lines. You and your teammates' mission connections, the sometimes heartbreaking, often touching, always inspiring stories of what happens after someone we love hears the words, you have cancer. We'll talk about the training required to put in long miles and conquer finish lines, and we'll work together to decode fundraising, putting you on the path to success. You guys, there is so much good stuff in this one, you might want a pen and paper handy. I was fortunate to have the nicest conversation with athlete Jen Callister this time around. Jen got involved with determination three years ago and quickly set about crossing every run Disney finish line. With one to go in April, we sat down to talk about why she supports the American Cancer Society, how her pop-pop's death impacted decisions she's made her whole life, and how she finally came around to calling herself an athlete while embracing Jeff Galloway's run-walk-run method. Jen works in the pharmaceutical industry professionally, and she's a proud dog mom, determination athlete, and ACS volunteer in her spare time. She's an introverted storyteller and a person who really values her one-on-one conversations and relationships. She's a woman who steps back to observe until she's ready for action, and then it's 110%. Set your interval timer and get out the door. I'm so pleased to introduce Jen Callister. Jen Callister, thank you so much for joining me on the Go the Extra Mile podcast. It is so nice to chat with you today. Awesome. It's great to see you, Jillian. Great to chat. Thanks for being here. So for those of us who don't know you, can you tell me a little bit about who you are and what you do? You bet. So I'm Jen Callister. Um, I am a market researcher by day, and I am a D-Nation athlete, volunteer, and any number of other things um, by day. I'm also a very proud dog mom. Um, She's also a D-Nation cheerleader. So um, yeah. We love our D-Nation pups. (laughs) I love it. So Jen, you have been historically part of our Run Disney team. So can you tell me a little bit about how and when you got started with ECS and D-Nation? Yeah, of course. So I started probably like a lot of other people. Um, During the pandemic, I needed something to do and needed to get out. And at the age of 45, decided I was going to start running. Um, I still look back and wonder what I was thinking. But alas, here we are. So we had a lot of time on our hands. We did. (laughs) (laughs) I wasn't baking bread. So I guess running was the next best thing. Um, so I started running and you know, I've had achy knees before and achy back, but I thought this was a cool way to just kind of stay active. I've always been really active. I weightlift all the time and I tried everything to be honest. I tried couch to 5k. I'm a big Peloton person. So I tried Peloton classes and just kind of got out there and started running and thought if I had a big event to train for that would really motivate me. So I found the Disney races. I love Disney, thought it would be really fun to go to Disney World and do a race. I had done one ages and ages ago. I basically walked it. That was in 2006. So really this felt like a whole new thing for me. And 
I found ACS as a charity that actually participated and reached out and it was kind of a whirlwind. I met a lot of really great people. I trained for the race. I had this great support system um, with the D Nation team, even though we were spread across the country. And it just kind of snowballed from there, to be honest. I got really involved. I got involved in the committee. I've been on the committee now for three years. And um, I brought my mom down with me because I run in, in memory of her dad. And she loved everybody. Everyone was just so supportive of us. And it just kind of, like I said, it just kind of blossomed. And I've you know been participating with Disney. I love participating with the Philly team and going to Hope Lodge. I actually incorporated ACS into my estate planning. So clearly it's become a really important part of my life. Mm, thank you. So you did mention you brought your mom down to Disney with you and that you were running in memory of her dad. Um, and you've shared that your grandfather's death really influenced um, your work. So can you tell me a little bit about that link for you? You said you work in market research and that's largely in the oncology space, correct? Yes, it is. So my pop-up died when I was two. Um, and it always kind of bothered me that I really didn't get to know him very much. So, um, when I was two, he went in for pre-op, um, testing for, he was supposed to have hernia surgery and he never had it because in that pre-op testing, they found a spot on his lung and six months later he was gone. Um, yeah. And he had non-small cell lung cancer and I have literally one memory of him. Um, I remember sitting on his bed and I remember a pink blanket. And for years I thought, surely someone told me this memory, but why do I remember this pink blanket? And there are no photos. I now have the pink blanket. It sits upstairs. Um, and I had told my mom this memory and she said it was actually a pink blanket and she found it and gave it to me. And it turns out that when he was so sick, the only person he wanted to sit with him was me because I would sit quietly with him. My cousins were really loud. There was all this other stuff going on, but I would just sit quietly with him. And everyone that I've talked to that knew my papa had such wonderful things to say about him. And he ran a candy store and everyone had these cool memories. I have none. I was two. Mm. And so that always kind of stuck with me. Yeah. Um, and my mama, um, his wife, became the top fundraiser for the Cancer League of Philadelphia, which is now defunct. Um, but she took that and, and moved it into fundraising, right? And was always raising funds and awareness for cancer treatment and cancer support. So I guess I kind of took that into two ways. Obviously, the fundraising, that's a pretty direct link. Um, but I actually got into the oncology space from a work perspective. And that was a really big motivator for me is, you know, much like with fundraising, making it personal, when you have a passion about what you do, it makes it a lot easier to connect and to wake up on Monday morning and go to work. Mm -hmm. So um, I've worked in the oncology space. Uh, I used to work for pharmaceutical manufacturers. Now I support them. Um, and I have worked on probably 10 launches of drugs in the cancer space. Um, and now I support other pharmaceutical manufacturers and I do market research for them. And I would say 90% of the work I do is actually in oncology, which is 
amazing. I get to see not just the drugs that are on the market now, but I get to see what's coming down the pike. Mm -hmm. And I get to work on a lot of these drugs and see how they will impact people, how we can help get them out there, how we can give doctors the information that they need in order to utilize these drugs in the right patients at the right times. So clearly that event when I was two that I have very little memory of has actually impacted my life in pretty big ways. I love hearing you talk about that. At ACS, um, we've talked about like having more birthdays, celebrating more birthdays, and um, you're doing this to help people's memories. You've taken that one very sensory, deep, visceral memory with your pop-pop, and you're doing work in fundraising to ensure that other people will have those memories and more. I think it's really beautiful to see how that's carried through your life and what purpose that has. Yeah, I have that one memory with my pop-up, but fortunately, I think about him regularly when I'm running Mm -hmm. or when I'm training. Um, I've crossed the finish line many times with tears in my eyes, thinking, hoping that he's proud of me. Well, and he's with you. He's been with you your whole life through this work and through this involvement. That's really spectacular. And what influence, um, you know, someone can have for good and what a legacy he's had through you. Thank you. Your mom must be really proud. Yeah, she is. My mom used to say her saying to me when I was a child, when I would do something that she was proud of, is she would tell me that her buttons were bursting. (laughs) And so... My mom and I carry that all the time. And whenever I do something, my mom says, my buttons are bursting and my mom's buttons must be bursting. I love that so much. Grandparents are so special. Yeah. Yeah. Um, You just said that the launches that you've done through work, that you've gotten to see what's coming down the pipeline and how that's going to influence people. How does that make you feel? You know, I think it's one of the things that gives me great hope is that, you know, everybody talks about eradicating cancer and fighting cancer, and it's one step at a time. But for me, I look at when my pup-up died, there wasn't a lot of treatment for lung cancer, right? They cut out a part of his lung, and it didn't do, do very much. And now they would do testing, they would look for different biomarkers, and then they would be able to match a drug to a specific type of cancer. And so when I see things like that, or I see new types of treatment, um, you know, immuno-oncology was something, now CAR-Ts and more personalized medicine, there are so many different novel techniques and ways to attack cancer. And it gives me great hope that someday, maybe we won't have to be running and fundraising to fight cancer because it will be eradicated. And I think that's something that is really hopeful and provides a lot of hope and optimism that there are so many people out there still trying to find new ways to fight cancer because unfortunately cancer is really smart and cancer is really tricky and you find one way to fight it and it's able to somehow get its way around whatever that is. And that's why it comes back. And I feel like, we're trying really hard to outsmart cancer. And so it gives me hope that we will be able to someday. Well, and it's going to take all of us. And so it must be really neat to know that you're doing your part and more. I mean, you're working on it professionally. You've taken it on as a passion personally. Um, You're really influencing that work. So thank you for doing it. 
Yeah, it's my pleasure. It's uh, It really is a passion. Well, and I appreciate you talking about the research and the advancements in a way that um, I think for everyone listening who isn't in the work will also understand. So um, sometimes I relate more to those patient services because they're things that are on my wavelength. So thank you for talking about all of these different modalities and the biomarkers and um, giving me a sense of those things in a real life way. So you just mentioned Hope Lodge, and I know this has become a huge thing in your life. We're really fortunate in greater Philadelphia to have a Hope Lodge. There are 34 across the country, um, so it's not immediately accessible to everybody. But can you tell me how visiting a Hope Lodge has changed your life, I guess? Yeah, it really has. And I have to thank you, Jillian, for inviting me. Um, You know, even the first time, now it just kind of become expected. You know, I'll be there every month. Um, And there's a lot of different aspects of it. And some of them may sound silly, but in your 40s, it's hard to make new friends. It is. And I'm 48 now. And there are times where I'm like, man, this is tough. (laughs) It's really hard. And going to Hope Lodge once a month and seeing the same people with similar passions has really expanded my friendship circle as well. Um, I have this new almost family of friends. Um, that are part of the D Nation team in Philadelphia. And it's pretty cool. You know, we text each other, we get to see each other. And at least once a month, I know I'm seeing mostly the same people, although we always appreciate when there's new folks joining us. Um, But I truly feel that it's become a highlight of my month. I know that once a month, I'm going down to the Hope Lodge and we're making dinner and serving dinner to patients and their families. Um, as an introvert, sometimes it's hard to think about, oh my gosh, there's gonna be all these people and I don't know anybody, but it's such a unique and deeply connecting experience. Um, so, you know, making dinner, serving dinner, and then finding a table to just sit and chat with someone and you can pick what you do. You can sit with a table that's got 10 people, or you can find the person that's sitting alone, which for Mm -hmm. me as an introvert is much easier. Um, (laughs) But I've met some amazing people to just sit and let them tell their story. You know, stories are important. That's kind of what helps us get through life is stories. I tell stories Mm -hmm. at work and I tell stories in my fundraising. So getting to hear other people's stories and sitting with families of patients who are you know, at Hope Lodge while their family member is actually getting treatment or is still in the hospital after surgery and listening to them talk about their fears or their hopes and what's going on. Um, sitting with patients, I've, I've sat with um, a woman who was almost exactly my age, who came from a similar town to where I lived, and she was dealing with brain cancer. And, you know, she was concerned that she wasn't speaking clearly and she was so clear. And so just getting to hear her story and her husband's story and what they were looking forward to and how she was diagnosed and what was next. And so it's just a really remarkable way to spend a couple hours once a month. You know, I've heard so many people say, thank you for providing this sense of community. You know, they're not in a hotel and they don't, they're getting some home cooked food and they're getting to sit and talk to somebody. And it's hard to put into words how special that is. I love it. I think it's a great experience. And honestly, it also helps 
from a fundraising perspective, when you can tell people a little bit more, once you've experienced it, it's easier to tell people and explain to people, this is what your donation is actually helping fund. <clears throat> and it costs, is it $70 a night to put somebody up in the Hope Lodge? And so this is what that means. And this is what it looks like. And sharing our team photos that we take and posting those on social media or wherever else to say, hey, this is what your donation is supporting. It really does make it real. It makes it very real. It can be hard to take the first step to volunteer for an introvert, for someone who is busy, for someone who, you know, has, could, could stay home. Um, but to take that first step, it's so worthwhile. And I think that's true of joining a team too, or going to team related events. Um, but taking that first step and volunteering and getting out into that community is really powerful. Um, for folks who do live accessible to a Hope Lodge, find a way to get there. Um, for people who don't, use these stories. Reach out to people like Jen and um, really understand what the power of it is or find something in your community like Road to Recovery or Reach to Recovery and you know, find what those ACS resources are um, because it really does help you tell that story. Um, let's seg a little bit into the fundraising because you've talked about being an introvert. You've talked about the storytelling. Um, you've been a very consistently successful fundraiser. Um, you referenced that 13,000 your first year. Can you tell me a little bit about how you fundraise, um, how you tap into your network, how you tell those stories? Yeah. So it's one of the things I think I'm most proud of is, um, over the course of the past three years, I've raised $40,000 for ACS and I, it makes me really proud. That's a lot of money and that's a lot of support. <laughs> I always tell people when they're wanting to sign up with a charity, any charity, to get into a race, to remember that it's hard work. <clears throat> it's not easy. You've got to ask. You've got to, you've got to figure out how you're going to outreach. And sometimes it's tough. Um, it's incredibly worth it. And it's incredibly worthwhile, but it's hard. Um, I'm pretty fortunate um, because I work in the pharmaceutical space and I work in with a lot of professionals. Um, a lot of them do have disposable income. And so oftentimes the donations I get aren't $10 or $20. I get those too, but I get a lot of $100, $200 donations, which is great. Um, I think for me, it comes down to a couple of things. One is tell everybody all the time what you're doing. Yes. Yes. Um, you never know who has a story and who has a connection to cancer. And as somebody who's worked in pharmaceuticals for such a long time, I've been to many events, walks, runs, different events. And I feel pretty confident when you're talking about cancer, everybody has been affected in some way. It might not be personal. It might be a friend, a family member. This isn't some small thing that is really rare and people don't know about. So talk to everybody, everybody. I talk to people who are doing service on my house, you know, that, oh, I just got back from California. I run for American Cancer Society. And you never know who has a connection. Um, somebody that was just doing work on my house lost their grandmother 20, 30 years ago to cancer and made a donation and said, mm. like, this is amazing what you're doing. So 
tell your story. Um, yes. And it's ironic. I work in sales, so I do market research. I have to sell in the market research that I'm doing. And I don't really see myself as a salesperson. And it's the same in fundraising. Sometimes it is literally an ask. If you have the relationship, you make the ask. Yes. Sometimes it's telling people what you're doing and let them take the lead on, wait, can I support you? Mm -hmm. And so I think there's a lot of value in telling your story, asking the ask. And I think um, in your first episode with James, he said it best, know your audience. And I think it's really important. Some people need you to ask. Some people want something for their donation. Some people just want the donate, just want to be able to give the donation. So I do a ton of outreach. I do personal emails. I do personal letters. Um, I do direct message. I post on social. I post on LinkedIn. I write a lot of personal emails telling my story, telling mm -hmm. why I'm doing what I'm doing. And I also have found great success in when you get that donation and you send that thank you, make it a personalized thank you. Yes. Thank them. Thank them for being a part of your life and supporting you. And then also remind them about, I always say there's two other things you can do. One is you can share my link and my story with other people because you never know who of your friends may also have the connection. And the second thing is you can apply for a company match. Yes. We have a great resource at ACS on the website that actually tells you if a company has a company match and if they do, how to go about applying for it. If I know the company that somebody works for, I do the legwork for them. I go onto the site, I find out what the link is and I say, did you know your company has a great company match program? Here's all you need to do. And I include the link in the thank you. That is huge, Jen. That is huge. Thank you for bringing that up and for doing that work. It's money that's out there. Exactly. And it takes three seconds to do. It really is very easy. The resource is right there on our website. And it takes a little bit of the work off of the person. It takes you a couple of seconds and it doubles, doubles the money. Well, and when you're talking about being fortunate to receive a lot of hundred plus dollar gifts, like that multiplies quickly and yes. that's impact. Yes. It's, it's huge. Your story is powerful and your story will move people. Mm -hmm. Tell them your story and tell them how to help. For me, it's not about gimmicks. A lot of people use gimmicks and different things that just doesn't fit with how I work or who my audience is. Mm -hmm. The only thing I've done that's somewhat gimmicky is if you donate, I will put a name on the back of my race singlet yep. for someone that you've lost, someone that's fighting cancer. And every year I run with a singlet full of names. I send a picture to everyone who's donated and it's very powerful. I love that. Um, I don't do a lot of gimmicky things. I tried a raffle once. It didn't work very well. <laughs> well, and I would venture to guess that to the people who are giving and submitting their names and having a name on the shirt, that doesn't feel very gimmicky to them. That's yes. really powerful. And yes. one illustration of completing something challenging with those names on your back. What a push. Yes, exactly. The whole experience is made more moving by bringing everyone else along for the ride. 
we always say make our miles more meaning, right? And so it truly does. Well, we have those names right there on your back. And you can be proud of the fact that over 80% of the funds go directly to the cause, not to administration, not to anything else. And I think a lot of people are very afraid of hearing no. Um, and people are afraid to remind people, hey, you said you were going to donate. Don't be afraid. It's, it often takes people a couple times to actually remember. How many times do you get something in email and you thought you responded and you forgot or, oh, I'm going to do that. And then you go back to it or you forget to go back to it. So don't be afraid. Those are your sales principles coming out. It's like six to 12 times for action. Yes, exactly. And I actually think in fundraising, it feels like it's less. Sometimes it's two or three times. Right. Well, and often it's, it's visibility too. It's like seeing it in one place, hearing it as you're talking about what you're up to. They don't all have to be like six asks it's those touches. Exactly. Yeah. Don't worry, guys. You don't have to ask everyone 12 times. No, no. And, <laughs> but don't be afraid to ask them once or twice. Sure. Um, and if they don't answer, that doesn't mean it's a no. And it doesn't mean you can't ask again. Mm -hmm. And I think that's, that's really important. And sometimes I've found, you know, I've been doing fundraising personally and professionally for a long time. There have been times that my parents want to wait till the very end and they want to be the big gift to put you over the top or something like that. So people wait for all different kinds of reasons. It's just a matter of making sure it's present. Yes, exactly. Another thing I'm excited to talk to you about is the way that you train, because I think you have real um, value here for teammates to talk about the way that you train because it's a little bit different and it is very, very successful. So tell me how, when you said you started running during the pandemic in your forties, um, you've tried couch to 5k Peloton, all different sorts of things. You have landed on the run, walk, run method, which is like interval training. Um, tell me about that. I started just trying to run straight through. And as probably many people listening can attest, when you haven't run before, that's really hard. <laughs> it's really hard to do. It's asking a lot of your body. It is asking a lot and your body is not used to it. Your body doesn't know what's going on. And it's a lot on your heart. It's a lot on your joints from the, the constant pounding. So I wasn't terribly successful with that. And that can be pretty discouraging. Um, when I signed up for Run Disney, Run Disney works with a partner on their training programs. And that program is a run, walk, run program. So I downloaded the program. I decided I was going to try it. And it didn't feel as hard on my body. I would say the majority of participants in Disney events actually do run, walk, run, which helped me because I didn't feel like the odd man out as I was starting to do that process. Now I do it at every race. It doesn't matter that almost nobody else does it at a race or very few people do it. Although I'm finding more and more people doing interval training and interval running at different races. Um, and I think for me, it's been really eye-opening. When I first started, like many other people, I started with this run, walk, run, walk, run process. And I thought, I'll be able to finish, but I'm going to be pretty slow because mm -hmm. you're doing all this walking and you're going to be slow. And over the course of three years, I have brought my pacing down from a 13 and a half minute mile pace 
that now in my shorter runs, I'm running around a nine minute and 30 second pace. And my longer runs are between a 10 and 11 minute pace. That's a big difference in not a long time. And I think some people would argue as you get older, you get slower. You're seeing the opposite. Yeah. And it's easier on my body. I have um, a couple of years ago, I tore uh, the meniscus in my knee and post-surgery, my surgeon said, the only way you are allowed to continue running is to do run, walk, run, because it's so much easier on your joints. Um, so I had surgery, I had gel shots, and I'm still running because this is so much easier on my joints, on my heart. Um, it's just an easier way for me to run. It doesn't mean it's easy. It's still hard. I'm still running. Um, and I've become a really big proponent because so many people just running straight through for 20, 30 minutes, let alone an hour, two hours, three hours as you're doing longer distances, it's just really hard on the body. But with run, walk, run, it really does break it up into easier chunks. And you can change those chunks as you evolve. So when I first started doing this, I was doing a 60-30 split, which means I would run for 60 seconds and walk for 30 seconds. And last year I started doing 90-30. So I would run for 90 seconds. And this year in my tra training cycle, I've mixed it up a little bit so that when I'm training, I will run at one speed for 90 seconds. Then I will run at a slightly slower speed for another minute. And then I'll walk for 30 seconds. In my racing, it gives me the adaptability to switch it up depending on how I'm feeling, but it's allowed me to really get some pace underneath of me. So, and you know this, Jillian, because I was incredibly excited and proud, and I think I told you probably an hour after it happened, but I've PR'd every one of my distances this year. I'm in the half marathon. I PR'd by 12 minutes. That's ridiculous it's a lot of minutes <laughs> well ridiculous. and you said you just came out of surgery and you're still running and you're not just still running you're running faster and you're feeling good and emotionally and mentally you're excited and encouraged like what's better than that yeah I mean coming through the finish shoot this in January I looked at my watch and thought surely my GPS was wrong surely there was some error somewhere in the miles and I do it at every race. I mean, every training run, every race, I'm doing run, walk, run. Um, you know, I have good race etiquette where I will raise my hand as I'm slowing down my pace and move to the right so that I'm not in anybody's way. But it has allowed me to really work on my training, continue getting faster while not being quite so difficult on my, on my joints. So you'll appreciate this then. I ran a race years ago where I was just straight running and I was volleying with Jeff Galloway, the founder of Run, Walk, Run. And it was driving me crazy. He was running with a woman and it was the same thing. I was going, you know, consistently or I was going one pace and they would beat me. You know, they'd, they'd get ahead of me. They would stop to walk. They'd drop back. They'd jump ahead of me. They'd slow, you know, the whole bit. And I crashed hard late in that race. I struggled really hard after mile 21. They did beat me and they probably felt better. Yeah. And you'll laugh. Jeff is, so Galloway trading is the program that I use and he, he's, um, Disney is a big supporter of, of that. And Jeff is 
basically a celebrity at all the Disney races because everybody can't wait to meet him and thank him. How do you keep track of that when you're going? Yeah, it's a great question. So I personally use RunKeeper um, and you can actually set intervals in RunKeeper. So I've tried a number of different things. Some people wear a timer just tucked onto their shirt or their sports bra or their shorts. Um, you can set it that way, but you can set custom intervals in RunKeeper or whatever app you're using. And it actually tells you, um, you know, if you're supposed to be running fast or slow. I typically will run uh, a 60-30 for my races. And I just know if I need to juggle them a little bit. And I also, when I start a race, I typically run the first two and a half minutes. So I know to just run the first two cycles through because I need to get a little space. Yeah, it can be crowded, especially Disney can be crowded early. Yeah, exactly. So um, there's lots of places. Uh, Jeff Galloway also has an app. Um, I think you can track it on there as well. But most running apps have a means to do a custom interval. You just set up your custom interval and go. Neat. Good to know. Um, so how has this shift in your training, um, you know, changed you as an athlete? What has it done for your mindset? Well, for one thing, it's actually made me feel like I am an athlete. Um, like everybody else, I've had imposter syndrome a couple times <laughs> when I'm getting ready to run. Um, and admittedly, when I was slower, I felt like, oh, I'm not a runner. Oh, I'm not an athlete. And now I realize I was an athlete then and I am an athlete now. Um, but it's really made me realize I can push myself and I can do really hard things. And, um, you know, it keeps me moving. It keeps me trying to always improve. Um, I had goals set for myself around I wanted to run a 10 minute per mile pace for a 5k, 11 minutes for a 10k and 12 minutes for half marathon. And those felt so far away when I first started. Well, this year I blew each of them out of the water and I'm now having to come up with what are my new pace goals for this year? Because mm -hmm. I just wrecked those. So what's next? And <laughs> I don't think if it, if I wasn't doing run, walk, run, I don't think I'd really be able to continue pushing. It's made me realize that there's really very little that I can't accomplish if I set my mind to it. I also want to share with everyone, we're going to, um, later in the conversation, we'll shout out where to find you, but folks should follow you on your social media because it makes sense that you would be data-driven because you work in market research, but um, it's really fun to follow you and inspiring to follow you because you're always chasing different goals and I find your content um, really inspiring to me. So I hope Thank people you. will follow you and go along for the ride. They'll see lots of dog pictures too. <laughs> so what have been your biggest lessons learned? You've only been here a couple of years, but you've accomplished a lot. There's a couple things. And one is, like I just said, I can do hard things. We all can do hard things with a little support. Um, I think that's a pretty big one. Um, and a lot of people think that being introverted means that you don't talk to people and you don't share things. And it really doesn't, right? It's about where you get your energy from. But I think that was a big learning for me, too, that even as an introvert, I can make really deep connections with people, particularly ones that share a similar passion. And along with that comes a lot of support, whether it's asking for donations or whether it's asking for help with training 
or whether it's at the Hope Lodge or whether it's sharing ideas on fundraising or even conversations like this one, that there's just something to be said for even introverts can make those connections and can be successful. I've had a lot of people say to me, are you sure you're an introvert? You've raised all this money. And I never really made the connection of what the heck does one thing have to do with the other? And then realized, oh, you mean because I have to ask people. One-on-one, I have no problem asking people. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so I guess it's finding how you're comfortable approaching people too. Which is, like you said earlier, very much like sales, right? Mm -hmm. It's finding what your style is. And I think that that's probably one of the most important things is find your style, whether it's your style of running, you know, if run, walk, run might work for you, or whether it's how you approach people and fundraising, it's, it's know your audience, but it's also know yourself and know how you can communicate well with that audience. What goals do you have yet to come either this season or in the future? What's still on the table for you? Yeah. So I'm in the process of figuring out what my new pace goals are. Winning the darn thing. It's funny. My neighbors have young children. And before I left for the half, they drew me pictures holding like a number one. And they wrote me little cards. We hope you win. It doesn't work like that. But I'll win because it's me against me. And so I will win. Oh, yes. Well, and what an important lesson to bring back to them. Yes. Yeah. Along with lots of stickers. (laughs) Um, Everything's better with stickers. Yes. Especially when they have Mickey Mouse on them. Jen, where can people find and support you? Um, So I am on Instagram at Frankie and Lily's mom. And I am on Facebook at Jen Calliser. It's Jen with two N's. And I'm always posting dog content. I'm always posting ACS content. And I'm always, especially lately, posting a lot about Run, Walk, Run and how really successful you can be with it. So would love to see you guys join me at any of those places and always happy to chat about fundraising or training or any other ways I can help. This has been a really fun and illuminating conversation. And I feel like there's so much packed in here that is going to help people think about their training and their fundraising and their participation differently. So thank you so much for being a guest and for chatting with me. My pleasure. This was really fun and always great to chat with you, Jillian. All right. We'll talk again soon. Sounds good. I wasn't kidding, was I? Which part resonated best for you? The hope and optimism of pharmaceutical breakthroughs for more personalized cancer treatment, the power of matching gifts and storytelling, or an entirely new way of training to smash PRs at every distance. I know, there's a lot here, so let's cool down. First, when you think of your mission connection or your why, what is your pink blanket memory? When you ask someone to make a gift, explain why it matters to you because your personal stories will matter to them. When fundraising, ask for matching gifts. Write this down, www.cancer.org slash donate slash matching dash gifts.html. Visit the ACS Matching Gift website and use the double the donation feature to search company match programs and processes. When someone sends a match, make sure they include your name, your race, and ideally the ACS event code. 
You can ask your staff partner for that code. Internally, we call it the society key, and it helps keep track of everything attached to an event. Finally, the run-walk-run method does not make you slow, and contrary to what you might initially think, it might actually make you faster. Trust me, I tried it. I tried this method just as Jen described on a run last week, and my average pace was much quicker than I expected, and it was literally faster than when I did a straight run run days before. No matter how you train or what your pace, you are an athlete. Oof, thank you so much, Jen, for your commitment to determination to our Hope Lodge guests and to the community we are all building together here at the American Cancer Society. Thank you all for listening. Let's talk again soon.